This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodrich-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So on Money Talks, we're always looking for your personal finance question, and Nancy and Ryder are ready to help you this morning. Also today, though, we're going to talk about uh, earning money in retirement. You know, with proper planning and discipline, you can have a comfortable income when you retire, but you can always still earn money after your working career has ended as well. So we're going to talk about some creative ways to earn cash and have uh, Nancy and Ryder weigh in on how practical maybe uh, some of these are or are not. You can join our conversation. You can send an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. So normally we start off the show talking about financial news in the news, but one of our friends has called in to sort of uh, tee up that uh, conversation. So we say good morning to John calling from Ridgeland. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Well, hello there. This is the uh, doom-obsessed old hysteric <laughs> at, the, at the Chateau Richmond. It, in these hyper-polarized times, well, the government can't get its act together. And in about a month, for the first time ever, the United States default on its debts. What will happen to us out here in radio land? Uh, Nancy, you want to try that one? Well, um, you know, part of me says I want to just play chicken on this because it's a stupid vote. Um, They've already chosen to have a budget and spend this money, and now they're deciding whether they're going to pay their bills. It's ridiculous, Um, and it has an archaic background. We shouldn't even have debt ceiling votes any longer. But the other part of me, which is the investor and also the money manager, I do have concerns because if we see a default on the debt, it will rattle markets. Now, strangely enough, the last time we got close, what did investors go to? Treasuries. Treasuries, (laughs) exactly, right? Or they started piling into treasuries. And so that tells you that even if we see this, still respected around the globe is U.S. debt. Um, But it's not something to play with, and so I have great concerns. Now, we do have news this morning that uh, Biden has invited McCarthy to the White House to begin talks. I'm hoping they will come to some resolution and will come to their senses and get this over with because it, it is a problem for investors. 
Yes, and I would echo everything that Nancy said. And, and thanks, John, for teeing up this topic for us, uh, which which was definitely uh, on our list to talk about. So, so bringing it all together. Um, your question, though, specifically, what would happen if we default? Well, uh, that is uncharted territory. We, we have not done that before. We've pushed to the brink several times. I believe there was a time in the 70s or 80s where there was actually some midnight deadline was hit and just for some technical reasons several payments from the treasury did not go out quite on time the thing about treasuries though is everything in finance is priced on it uh people look at treasuries uh as a base rate for things to add on when they're saying okay this company is issuing some debt uh, how much should we price it at oh a, li- a little bit more than treasuries you know one percent more than treasuries half a percent more they price things and they think about things in terms of where is the treasury at uh treasury yield at because those yields are always moving so you just have to have that benchmark to weigh everything off of that's how they time payments because because, of course, if somebody has a bunch of treasuries maturing, say a bank has a bunch of treasuries maturing, they can really, really rely on those payments coming in on time. And then they can turn around to people who they need to send money on and say, OK, well, we know we're getting a million dollars on this day, so we can send you out a million dollars 10 minutes later because they know with such reliability what is going to happen. So that could be some problematic if uh, payments get delayed, if uh, some contractual payments can't be made on time. There might be a big kerfuffle about that. Uh, I will say that banks are pretty good at kind of, especially between themselves, kind of agreeing, okay, look, we know that this treasury payment didn't come in. We totally understand. We're not, uh, banks don't want the system to uh, go up in flames, so they're going to work really hard to make sure all of those things, all those payments still work together and everyone knows who owes what. But like you said, it's 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 uncharted territory for us. Well, and the government will still pay some of its bills. So some for Social Security, just a few less. yes, you're still going to get your payments. Uh, Medicare, they still will be paying out. Um, you will start to see some maybe um, government employees being furloughed or at least their their pay being delayed, which will have a ripple effect throughout the economy. And certainly in Mississippi, that's a big deal because we have the highest percentage in the country of our employees who work for government. Mm -hmm. So when all of that gets backed up, it affects everybody. Mm All right, John, great way to start off the show. Thanks for your call. Feel free to call in any time and help us uh, kick off these uh, financial news and the news conversations that we have at the beginning of each show. Uh, Nancy, anything else uh, catch your eye this week? Well, let's go past the doom and gloom to something positive. And uh, just this week, I read an article about the housing market. And of course, we've been talking about the declines in the housing market and the slowdown because of rising mortgage rates and prices coming back down to earth. And I'm going to connect this to a personal story, which is uh, we have put my dad's house up for sale on the coast on Monday. And by Tuesday afternoon, we had multiple offers and ended up settling wow. on a contract price about 10% over the asking. Wow. So, um, you know, for all real estate, remember, it's location, location, location. And some of the ones that were in a bit of a bubble, we're seeing 
pretty big price declines, but again, not going back to pre-pandemic. There's still areas where it's their choice areas. People want to be there. And despite having mortgage rates hitting in the 6 to 7% rate, uh, range, we're still seeing families are looking for housing. You know, they're forming families. They need a place to live. And so they're out there looking. Our inventories are a little light because people are a little nervous about the decline in prices. So all of that is causing some stabilization in the um, housing industry. And that's actually pretty good news. Yeah, that that's great news. Uh, f- uh, that's great news for you and your dad. Uh, fantastic. Um, so I was actually going to go back to doom and gloom, but in a very boring way. Oh, don't, don't. Well, it, okay, but we had a very boring bank failure, and that's exactly what we should hope for. This wasn't some unseen problem that came out of nowhere and blew up. This wasn't this wasn't mass layoffs and absolutely terrible things happening. This was you went to bed as a First Republic customer on Friday. You were a little worried maybe that your bank wouldn't be there. And you woke up on Monday after a long, what is that, 48-hour, 72-hour nap, and and you went to your bank and it was still there. It was just called Chase. And that's – because what happened to that bank was very – it's kind of known financial issues. It's – they take deposits, which people can take out at any time, and then they make loans to people, mostly things like buying a house, which are they're not going to get that money back for years. And so that sort of mismatch is a very well-known thing, and that's why we have regulations designed right around those sort of problems. And so the regulators stepped in. They picked the bank up. They sold it to Chase, um, J.P. Morgan Chase. And, and everything's basically fine. There's a lot of kind of arrangements going on to make sure things stay afloat. But they had a very high quality asset book. They just they just had a little bit of trouble managing how long their loans were for. They did some kind of uniquely silly things, I think, but they weren't major problems. Uh, and then it just so happened that a lot of their depositors did decide to leave and and. If all of your depositors leave, that's a that's a problem for any bank, no matter how strong it is, and no matter how good good their service and reputation are. And all of this um, happened over the weekend, mm-hmm. and we weren't sure what was going to happen to markets on Monday. And as Ryder mentioned, all of it happened very in a very organized way. So the markets basically yawned on Monday, and that's exceptional news. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, Money Talks. .mpbonline.org is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're going to be talking about creative ways to earn cash in retirement. But as I mentioned, I got a letter in the mail this week and I wanted to discuss this. Uh, Ryder and I were talking before we came on the air, and uh, he and I both have received several of those random text messages that say, Hi, my name is Tammy. I want to buy your house. And I'm like, if I'm selling my house, I'm not going to sell it to some random stranger who text mex- uh, to text messages me online. You could just ask them to, like, PayPal you the, the money. <laughs> just, hey, sure, no Venmo. problem. Yeah. Here's, just send it to me via Venmo. We'll, we'll be good. And, you know, I've gotten postcards the same way. But actually, uh, this week I got a a letter 
uh, from a company. I guess I'll not name the name, but it's a, I think it's a local Mississippi-based company, but nice letterhead. Uh, and it said, I received a couple of letters from me over the past few months wanting to purchase your property at my address. I wanted to take some time to explain why I've been sending these letters and why I'm a viable option if you decide to sell. He gives his name and his the name of his company, and he says, I purchased many properties in the area and would like to make you a fair cash offer. Some of the benefits that he offers include paying all cash, so no realtor involved. You don't have to pay commissions or deal with open houses. He'll pay the closing costs. He'll purchase the property as is, so you don't have to make repairs or updates. No formal appraisal or inspection is required. Close on the date of your choosing and remove the property, only the belongings you'd like to keep. Leave the rest, and they'll take care of disposal for you. That seemed like an awful lot to offer. Uh, and good I'm, to be true. Well, that's kind of what I thought. Uh, is my house really worth all that? Well, it could be. Um, for the right the price. Pro- <laughs> yeah. The problem is for a company like that, they're looking to either um, have a rental property or to flip the house. <clears throat> and um, in either way, they're looking for some sort of discount to what the real value would be if you just put it on the market. And I would say for anybody who's serious about selling their house and making a move, remember, you got to go live somewhere, so be careful about that, um, just to talk to a local realtor. It doesn't cost anything to talk to a local person and find out what your house would be listed at reasonably, what you could expect to happen, what is the market in your area. And as I mentioned earlier, it's all about that location. And if mm-hmm. you have a good neighborhood, then it could be that that's going to give you top dollar. And certainly folks like this are not going to pay you top dollar. The only time I would take notice of somebody sending me a letter, if it happened to be a just a, a private individual who had seen my particular house and said, gosh, I really want your house because I've been looking in the area and I can't find any that are available and I really like yours. That's a spot where you might be in a good negotiating spot to be able to say, you're going to have to pay me more than the market value. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what my first thought is. Anybody who's just kind of offering to buy a house, this is a business of theirs. They're looking to get, again, the right price. You know, they're offering oh, a lot of these convenient things, but of course, clearing somebody's stuff out of a house, that does not take, that does not necessarily a, a whole lot. Well, I and, beg to differ. I beg to differ. I've been well, doing that. Yes, but if you do it very unsentimentally, it's going to, it, it can go a lot with, with a third party, you're paying you know, $15 an hour with a dumpster, it can go a lot faster, I think. Um, and, and and also, some of the things they pointed out, I think, are applicable to to people selling their houses <clears throat> in general. It's that there's no need for you to do renovations and updates and small repairs. And that's a very common thing we hear people say is, oh, I'd like to move, I'd like to sell my house, but first I've got to do this kitchen renovation because nobody's going to buy this house with the kitchen looking like this. Well, one, you bought the house with the kitchen looking like that. Right, so I yeah. think that's A-OK. And two, how do you know the buyer is going to love what you did to the kitchen? If it's mm, going to cost 20000 for you to do the kitchen, it's going to cost 20000 for them to do the kitchen. And they're probably not going to be willing to pay 20000 more for your idea of a good kitchen when they want to pay 20000 more for their idea of a good kitchen. Of course, small repairs, you know, some of some things can really tie something up, you know, big plumbing or electrical things that need to be repla- repaired, but 
Oh, you've got an outlet that needs to be replaced. You've got a bit of a leaky faucet. Some, a lot of buyers, especially if, uh, you know, someone who's going to flip it or someone who's going to use it as a rental property, they might be willing to overlook those things. And, and another thing, when you're getting these letters, it's an interesting sign. I mean, it's, there's clearly demand for your house. So, and there's clearly, this is someone, again, they're looking to make money off of this. They're trying to buy it at a lower price than they think it's worth, of course, which is, I mean, that's fair if they're trying to make money off of it. But there's unsolicited demand. There's just people trying to buy your house. So if you are truly looking to move, again, that advice to talk to a realtor, get a really good idea of how many people are looking in my area. How many people do want to buy this? If I listed this, would I have however many offers that uh, Nancy said she got on the first day and, and ended up pricing 10% above what they listed? Uh, that's, a, that's a sign of there's some demand there that you might not have realized was there. So I guess they're they're playing on the fact that I I would venture to guess most people don't have a, a very good idea of how much their house is worth, and so when mm-hmm. they hear cash and that sort of thing, I guess they're banking on someone almost making kind of a snap decision to go ahead and sell their house. <clears throat> but, but but these days, Kevin, you know anybody can sign up for Zillow or Realtor and see what houses are selling for around you. I always encourage people if you own a house, you should be paying attention to what houses are going for in your neighborhood because you're tracking the value of your assets. And so I, I think for most people, you, you have a pretty good idea. You can look at it. Zillow is not perfect, uh, but certainly if you look at actual sales around you, you're going to see what that price is and what it, how it compares to your house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say, though, again, the fact that it's on a nice letterhead and everything, this does seem more... I don't know, legitimate than the random text message. It does seem better than those text messages. I get those from time to time, and sometimes I'm just curious. What If you're sending me an unsolicited text that says, I drove by your house and I would like to buy it, okay, I'd love to know. What, what price are you thinking of? And they never seem to have a good response to that. Never a response with a number in it for sure. And also, I think it would help when they do this. The as, as I said, there's a house at the end of the block that has his sign out in the front yard. So obviously, they are in the neighborhood looking around. But I think when they stick that sign up, and then I get the letter, it's like, oh well, look, they're down there. You know, it's I, adds yeah. to the legitimacy. So I do give them credit for doing it a little bit more professionally. And as I said, some of the other uh, people that oh, we okay, come across. Okay, so they spent money on a stamp. <laughs> That's well, right. a nice letterhead too. That, yeah. So. <laughs> They used a color printer, Nancy. I'm here to tell you. Oh, wow. The man used a color printer. This is Money Talks. We're looking for your personal finance questions. We do have a list of creative ways to earn money in retirement, so I thought it would be fun to kind of go through some of these and see if some seem to be a little bit more um, um, realistic than others. The first one is to earn cash back, and I hate to almost say this because I – I think I understand. Especially wait, wait. Your first re- way to earn money is to go buy things? <laughs> hang hang on. The cash back. Cash back, right? I, I think I understand cash back as it applies to a credit card, and I guess maybe I don't ever spend enough money on the credit card to begin with because I don't ever see like I'm getting anything. Although I will say 
one card I had, I realized I had a gazillion points. And so at first I was like, oh, well, let me get a gift card. So I went looking through there. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, no, let me do this. Let me apply my credit back mm-hmm. to the money I owe on the account, which I did. Yes. And so that's a way to – But I love to, gift cards, Kevin. I uh, love gift cards. Well, I, I do too, but I had bought something and I said, <laughs> well, instead of the gift card, I'm really sort of retroactively paying for it uh, that way. Um but Nancy is a great consumer. You hear that? She loves <laughs> gift cards. <clears throat> but the uh, the um, Rakuten, I believe, is uh, mentioned on here, and I think I've seen commercials on TV for that. Uh, and I go to another one. There's a shopping one where every time you shop, you scan your receipt and you get points uh, based on what you buy. I've I've been doing that for several years, and I think I might be qualified for like a fifty dollar gift card somewhere. So. These things seem to be legitimate, but it, I don't know, you know, if it's a, a way to earn a lot of extra money. Maybe let's put it that way. Any thoughts on, on cashback from the crew here? Yeah. So a, a couple things. One, the kind of store cashback where it's, oh, you buy this certain thing, you do this certain promotion, you buy this, you sign up for a recurring purchase or something. And I know we often say, oh, on the things you are going to buy anyway, maybe you're going to get 5 or 10% cashback to use at that store. C- keep in mind that any cashback scheme, any promotion scheme, any advertisement, any promotion, those are all designed to do one thing, and that's to get you to spend more money in that store. So even though we say, you, oh, you're going to buy this thing anyway, uh, just really be honest with yourself about that and also make sure you are getting the, the deal that you're looking for. If it's just Oh, I get 5% cash back if I order my cat food from this website. Well, if it costs 10% more to get it there, I don't know that you're getting a deal. Um, With a credit card, we are big fans of using credit card for several reasons. Just getting the cash back, not focusing too much on, oh, I need to spend more at a restaurant uh, before the month end to get this, uh, this cash back offer. I wouldn't really, again, because that's, again, encouraging you to spend more money. So those are the things I would, I would really watch out for there. Uh, that's a good point. So the idea is don't change your spending habits in order to try to get some sort of reward points or cash back, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's the same idea with coupons because a lot of exactly. people will have coupons and I'm going to buy these things because I'm going to get 50 cents off. But maybe it's something you wouldn't ordinarily buy anyway. So, you know, why bother? Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff. I'm Kevin Farrell. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And if you've been listening yesterday and today, you know that we're celebrating public media giving days by asking you to share your own reasons why MPB has changed your life or the lives of your loved ones. Do that on social media with the hashtag public media giving. It could be a favorite memory from your youth or something you learned recently on MPB Think Radio. Our goal is to raise awareness for MPB in the community and to raise money to keep it going for the next generation. So if you'd like to financially support the station, call or text the word GIVE to 888-372-4483 or take just three minutes to do your part online at mpbonline.org. Do have a couple of phone calls to get to, so let's start by going to Mobile. Justin is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Okay. I'd like to ask um, uh, P-E-F. That's um, Paul Edward Francis. Um, Does PEF stand for private equity firms or 
private earnings funds? Um, so uh, private equity is very often abbreviated to PE in the finance world. I don't, I don't know that I've really seen it with the F tacked on. So usually when people are referring to PE, they're either talking about, yes, the firm that is doing the investing or the fund that they are managing. And a private equity firm or a private equity fund, a private equity firm is just – they buy either businesses or properties or something uh, to manage for investors. It is not – the fund itself is not listed on a stock exchange. It is not publicly traded. It is not publicly accessible. So you or I can't just go to the market and be like, that's a great pu- uh, private equity fund. I'll have some of that. I really think though that market is going to be great. I'll have some of that like we can with any other stock. It is privately traded. There's often very high restrictions on – There are some legal restrictions on who can buy it. And then the firm itself will also have some pretty high restrictions, maybe minimums or a type of investor that they're looking for just uh, for their for their own internal reasons. So, yes, that's what uh, P.E. does stand for private equity. That's great. And a private equity firm is a hedge fund. That's all a hedge fund is, is just a private portfolio. Um, and typically to participate, you have to sign paperwork saying that you're an experienced investor mm. and you know what you're getting into. The disadvantages of private equity or hedge funds is that they're often quite illiquid. You can't just get your money out whenever you want to. That's part of the agreement. They are not as heavily regulated as uh, public funds are because they're supposedly, okay, you're a experienced investor, you know what you're getting into, you should be paying attention. And uh, so be careful with any kind of private equity, make sure it fits your needs and that you can lock your money up for an extended period of time. All right. uh, Thanks for the phone call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we're off to Columbus. Catherine has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hello. I have a bone to pick with Ryder. Uh, He suggested in order to get your house ready to sell that you might just roll up a dumpster and fill it up. But, um, I've been taught to reduce, reuse, recycle as much as possible. A dumpster should be your absolute last resort. And if you watch Antiques Roadshow, you know that uh, many a national treasure has been pulled out of a dumpster before. So I would suggest that there are other alternatives because there's always someone out there who would like your cast off. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of reducing and reusing and recycling myself. Um, I'm only assuming that these uh, these uh, house uh, flippers, these uh, folks offering, uh, making a lowball offer for your house are maybe not going to do uh, quite the careful treatment of all of your things uh, that, that, that you or I may do uh, as, as, as we go through and clean out our house. But that's, a, that's a great to remember that your cast offs may you know, one man's trash is another's treasure uh, you can you can sell some things you can donate some things you can reuse or uh, put to another use i think that's a great uh, a great point uh, i apologize for any any offense that i may have caused there <laughs> well that's all right and you've even dedicated a whole show to how you can make money uh, by selling off some things of yours through auctions or estate sales and so forth so that's always a good thing to keep in mind. 
All right. Uh, thanks for the phone call. And yeah, I would say that uh, that's a good thing before you might leave uh, in that circumstance, you know, the stuff for the, the house flipper to buy. You might want to go through it. I'm sure that maybe that's what they do as well when they uh, get rid of the stuff that the homeowners leave behind. So we appreciate uh, the phone call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines for another call. Nashville is the source of Derek's call this morning. Go ahead, Derek. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey there. Hi. I just had a question. Are uh, credit unions susceptible to failing as uh, well as regular banks? With these two banks failing the last few weeks, mm-hmm. what's uh, the prognosis for a credit union? Yes, so they are. Credit unions are, in many regards, very similar to banks these days. Uh, They often have members, and so people do feel uh, often a little more sense of belonging to a credit union, although it's easier and easier to join a credit union, so it is easier and easier to leave a credit union. so there have been credit union failings uh, in the past. One, a couple of things. They are regular. They have a kind of a different set of regulation, which is very similar. Um, they do have some differences in their operation. So typically, they are their depositors are their members, and those people are also the ones receiving their loans. So often, people do kind of have their whole financial uh, or a, a good portion of their financial uh, life there. They often have much lower deposits, so uh, a smaller deposit size, so more of their deposits are insured. They have a slightly different insurance than FDIC. It's, it's just a different acronym. It's like NCUA, I believe, is, is what it is. Uh, but they can still fail. They can still make the same sort of mistakes. They can. They are still subject to the same market whims that, that banks are. Um, I, I don't know that we really hear about them a lot because they tend to be smaller. Uh, and also, again, the, the, the thing that so there were some issues with the banks that have failed. And there were some issues, like I said, they're very kind of known banking risks where they take a short term deposit and they lend it out for a long time. And if the po- deposits leave, then, oh, no, you don't have you're not getting money back from that mortgage to fund that deposit. Um, And so the issue was with the banks that have failed this year is that everyone took their money out too quickly. They just didn't have the money there. So with credit unions, people tend to leave their money in there because, one, they they tend to be smaller balance holders who are totally insured, don't have to worry about that too much. Two, they are members, so there is some some level, no matter how small, of, of a sense of obligation towards that bank. Maybe it's related to your employer. Maybe it's related to your area, things like that. So, so people are a little less apt to just pack up and leave. But again, yes, it can and does happen. All right, Derek, we appreciate your phone call. One more call to get to in this portion of the show. Off to Mobile, uh, Neil is on the line. Neil, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi, how are you doing? I love the show. Thank you. Uh, just a quick co- contribution. I've, I've got a Discover cashback card. So every time I spend money, I get cash back. Mm-hmm. And I agree with your um, people there that you have to be careful. So if, for example, you go to a gas station and use your credit card, they charge you more per gallon. So you're not mm-hmm. saving money. Mm. But, but what, I've, what I have been able to do is I've transferred a couple of the bills that I ordinarily pay anyway to my cashback credit card. So my phone bill, 
I pay through my cashback credit card and they don't charge me any extra. I also pay my motor insurance through my cashback credit card and they're not charging me any, any, me any extra either. So I've got the regular bills that I would normally pay um, going through my credit card and I'm getting cash back. So they're not costing me any extra money and I'm getting a little bit. It's not a huge amount, but why not have it, you know? I think that's a great point when you're thinking about things that you would be paying anyway. Of course, your bills are things that you would be paying anyway. And so with the gas stations, yes, some gas stations do charge a little bit more. I've seen... I don't know what the biggest spread I've seen, but I think a typical is on the order of a few cents per gallon. So say it's 10 cents per gallon. That might be a dollar per fill up. Um, Of course, you then have the, uh, what is it, the cost of having to remember to carry around cash, remember to go pay in cash. Uh, If you're trying to get gas late at night, that might not be an option. Some gas stations do charge a little bit less for cash. Totally understand. I will say with some bills, I have noticed that uh, larger, especially larger companies, because they are trying to cut their costs, uh, and one of their costs is credit card processing, is that they are encouraging folks to link their bank account directly. So you may have a mixed bag there, but absolutely uh, we can – Absolutely, we can put those things that are already being spent. That's a great way to do it. Thanks for the call, Neil. That's a a good point. You know, I had made the point earlier that I don't really spend enough money on on the credit cards to see the cash back. But as Neil suggests, if you've got your regular bills that you're going to pay anyway and you pay them off with the credit card, that is a way to kind of uh, get the extra benefit of of the cash back uh, concept or the uh, offer that uh, some of them give. So, Neil, we appreciate you calling in this morning. Kevin Farrell here. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. With me is Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We have been talking about creative ways to earn money in retirement, and the next one on the list is to walk dogs and care for pets. So now, Ryder, this is – we were talking about – you said you like ones that are active. This is a good one. Yeah, so I I really like this. One thing that we talk about when people are looking forward to retirement or people are really close to retirement or people are at some important age is that they're worried about what they're going to – do and 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 they don't want to just sit around and and collect the cash back on their credit cards. They want to do an activity. Now, some people are fortunate to have maybe they work in an industry where their knowledge skills are still in very high demand, and they can serve as consultants to their previous employer or to a nonprofit who may want uh, their skills. And you see that a lot with uh, accountants and things. A lot of people still want those skills, but they can do it on on a much lower commitment. But a lot of people still do want to remain active. That keeps your body and your mind active, and that's going to help you live a more fulfilling retirement, uh, live longer, and get to enjoy those things. And it doesn't hurt if you can do it and collect a little bit of money as well. Getting paid for something active is certainly better than paying for something very passive. So Taking care of other people's pets, and you're already going on a walk in the neighborhood. There's a lot of websites, even just uh, local uh, 
local neighborhood social media networks uh, or advertising at your local coffee shop, all sorts of things there or word of mouth. Great ways to do that. House sitting, uh, taking care of pets and dogs, things like that are are great local, uh, low commitment activities. And I will say that uh, a few years ago, we lost our sweet hound dog, Loretta. Mm. Uh, But I just love to love on everybody else's dogs. And um, so there are a lot of folks like me. We see a good career for Nancy in the future. (laughs) They don't want the responsibility full time, but they Mm. are accustomed to uh, dealing with dogs or cats. And and they love them and they would take good care of them. And there's great demand for people to do this. Because if you have a dog, especially an older dog or an older cat, it's very hard to board them. And, of course, we also know that people spend a lot of money on their pets. And so if you're going to be going on vacation for two or three weeks, you want to make sure that that sweet family member is cared for. And you will pay a premium for someone to do that. Now, the only thing I would be wary of is – I, I would be afraid that under my care, something might happen to the pet. Um, well, yeah, well, that's that's a happen. bad mark for maybe you shouldn't go into dog well, sitting. Nothing Kevin. I would do, of course, but perhaps the dog, you know, whatever. So uh, I want to skip one here to get to another one on the list, because as I said at the beginning of the show, some of these to me seemed more practical than the others. And this one, I think, tends towards the maybe not the practical. Rent out your car or become a driver. Um, yeah, but but of course, a lot of older people are not very good drivers. Yeah, so you got to be really be careful, careful about who's your driver. <laughs> um, there are a lot of people who will uh, at least do an airport service. And, of course, they might have a lot of friends, neighbors who are traveling a lot. They're already retired. And so they need someone who just can be a shuttle service back and forth at the airport. So that's a good thing to do. And, and I will say this is also just a way to rethink about what retirement means to you. Not necessarily. Obviously, if, if you are 95 years old and in a nursing home, being an Uber driver is not, not a good idea, oh, nor is no. it necessarily accessible to you. But – we're talking about folks who maybe they're retiring early, whether they want to or not. And and they either A, just want to spend time doing something because people do get a lot of enjoyment, not just from their jobs, but from, from having that schedule, from having that activity. And so we have there are people are retiring earlier and people are retiring later, just all the whole spectrum. So this is just an activity that can give you some of that structure uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that you control and give you a little bit of income as well. So that's very interesting. I, the renting out a car, I've, I have heard of that, but I haven't actually seen that in – I mean, I've rented cars from a car rental place, but I've never rented an individual's car uh, like we might rent an individual's house when we're on vacation. Um, I've got a story about someone who's earning money in retirement, and uh, I love to garden, and I qualify that by saying I kill a lot of plants, but I still try. Um, But I met this exceptional gardener a couple years ago, and a walk through her yard was just mind-blowing. It was like belling breath gardens back there. And I ran into her just this week at the garden shop. She is loading up stuff, and I'm like, oh, Debbie, are you getting ready for your gardening? And she, she looked at me, and she said, oh, 
I now have a job. I'm gardening for somebody else. <sighs> and wow. so she turned something that she loved. And, of course, you know, you can only do so much in your own yard. And she had told me when I visited her yard, she said, well, it's kind of a sickness. I just love to do it. So now she's doing it for somebody else, and she's getting paid to do it. How great is that? Yeah, and that's something I think that uh, a lot of people would like a nice garden, but don't really want to take the time and effort to do it. So that's a good one. The, the again, the renting out the car. I, I, what about with the insurance? I mean, like I, I once loaned my truck to someone, and they had uh, a truck in front of them, and this big glob of of concrete, you know, cracked my windshield. Fortunately, they paid for the replacement. But I wonder if there might be some liability, some issues, some un- unpleasantness if if there's the car's damaged when you rent it out to somebody. Yeah, certainly if you're doing it in kind of a, you know, hand-to-hand sort of way. But I, I, I know there are some websites similar to Airbnb or VRBO for houses that will, you can you can put your car up for rent or you can uh, you can rent someone else's cars. And previously, uh, this is not an unheard of thing. Of course, people will rent cars from you know, large corporations all the time. But also renting from individuals works well maybe if you know the person and truly trust the person. I, for instance, I don't own a truck. And sometimes when I have a large project at my house, I might borrow a neighbor's truck who they can trust me and I trust them. <laughs> Well, and we're moving more to this type of an arrangement, uh, maybe even a subscription service, because for much of the day, our cars sit in the same spot unused, and that's not very efficient. So I'd also say, though, pet walking, house sitting, renting a car, that sort of thing, have some sort of written agreement, very simple, but that way, if something were to happen, there's at least some sort of something to go on. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 